right, well, appropriately, as the Tar Heels whooped Duke and put Coach K into retirement, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 9, and let's consider the formula for success. We're going to lock in on the North Carolina Tar Heels for, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Y'all do understand the GOAT, Mr. Michael Jordan. Uh, A lot of people would say that uh, the GOAT, Michael Jordan, uh, equates with success. And if you Google search uh, Michael Jordan and success, he always talks about three specific things in regards to success. First of all, Michael Jordan says this, success is sacrifice. To be successful, you have to be selfish or else you never achieve. And once you get to your highest level, then you have to be unselfish, stay reachable, stay in touch, don't isolate. Good words, Michael Jordan. Thank you so much for that today. How about this? Michael Jordan says, secondly, success takes a team. A team. Talent wins games, Jordan says. But teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Everybody go, mmm, that's good. Y'all aren't Tar Heel fans, I'm guessing, huh? I need the Tar Heel fans in the back to be a little louder with me. Number three, Michael Jordan says this, success has no shortcuts. That's what he talks about. Be true to the game because the game will be true to you. Mmm, that's good. If you try to shortcut the game, then the game will shortcut you. If you put forth the effort, good things will be bestowed upon you. That's truly about the game. In some ways, that's about life too. Now, I know you came here today for something more than the rich theology of Michael Jordan. I want to talk about success, but maybe not success as the world would say success is defined. And I want to take us to the end of our text. We've been going through the book of Acts together in this series called Fresh. And for Vintage Church, I want you to know this is going to be our last weekend in the book of Acts until August. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We've been rolling through the book of Acts, and we're now all the way in Acts chapter 9. And so go get ready. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31, which is one of the banner text in all the book of Acts because it defines for us what success looks like as the church. We've been looking at this movement of God, right? We're a movement of truth, love, and community called Vintage Church. But as we started this church here in the last couple years, uh, this church hasn't started a new movement. We've joined the movement, the movement that began as Jesus Right, came, lived, died, defeated sin, death, and hell, arose from the grave, and then before he ascended into heaven, told his disciples, what, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even the foreign country of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so we are part of this unbelievable movement, and we've been asking for God's spirit to unleash through God's people, unleashing God's movement around the world. And anybody been thankful as we've seen people baptized, as we've seen our church continue to advance uh, for the kingdom of Christ here in this city, to welcome teams from Georgia, Woodstock, Georgia, to come and be a part of not just our church plant here, but they're going to roll up their sleeves and serving the 14 churches in our network in this city as we believe 25 churches by 20. 25. God is on the move. And as we're reading about Acts, anyone thankful in the house that we're not just reading about it, we're not just preaching about it, we're living it. Anybody pumped about that? Amen. Amen. Some of you are Duke fans. That's why you're a little miserable. And I love it. So let's consider Acts chapter 9, verse 31 as a cap to this kind of first section of the book of Acts. And then as we jump back in in August, we're going to start jumping into some really cool missionary journeys. And we're going to see how God advances his kingdom through his church. 
In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, here is a picture of success. Pastor Rob, what would success look like for our church, for our lives? Look at it with me. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Anyone thankful for the peace of God? Remember what's going on here. The disciples, the followers of Christ, those who are belonging to the way, had been in and out of persecution and jail. And it's not like they were showing up like Woodstock is here. And we actually are glad you're here. Some might not be because they're Duke fans. But we're glad you're here. These disciples, as they traveled to Samaria, remember Philip in Samaria? Even as we'll consider some of these missionary journeys, there wasn't exactly a parade being thrown for these people. There was a lot of resistance, a lot of persecution. But praise God, there was peace. Because true peace is not found in the absence of problems, it's found in the presence of Jesus. And so this church that, oh, by the way, can we just praise God? What did Jesus say back in Acts 1.8? You're going to see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And although you're in Jerusalem right now, I'm going to send you out to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When God makes a promise, he delivers. What's already happened? God is already advancing his kingdom in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And it says, had peace... And was being built up. Almost titled our sermon, Built Up. Um, Because we are, as a church right now, even though we launched pre-COVID as two locations, uh, God changed some things. He hadn't heard there was a thing called COVID around the world. And that caused us to kind of take some steps back and reevaluate. And what we decided to do is we decided to lock in on our worship out here at this location and then lock in through our Send Relief Compassion Ministry at our city location because one of our sister churches in town, they lost their place to worship. And because of COVID, they could not return to that place. So we felt like it was important for us to practice hospitality and to give up that location for that church. Well, praise God. I want you to know, Jake told me, he said, the church that's there, Renaissance Church, that meets at our city location, just signed the papers for them to be back where they started their church eight years ago. And that's going to open up the door. And we believe that God's called us to go back to the city and relaunch that location and I was tempted to call this sermon today, Built Up. Anybody want to have a little faith in God this morning, believing, right, that God is faithful, that the gates of hell will not prevail against God and his church? And so we're here to plant the gospel and see churches grow and blossom. And I'm just so thankful that this promise of success is laid out here in the text in such an early time in this early church history. The church had peace and was being built up. Well, what was it like? How were they a people who had peace? And how were they a people who were successfully building God's church. Here's the formula. And walking in the fear of the Lord. Everybody say fear the Lord. Come on, y'all got to talk back to me. Fear the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say comfort. It multiplied. It multiplied. Gospel multiplication. The formula for success is clearly laid out here in the text. Fear of the Lord plus comfort from the Holy Spirit equals gospel multiplication. 
Now, let's rewind, because over the last couple of weeks, we've taken a journey in Acts chapter 9, and I want to show you that this is not just something that they created overnight, it's something that they had already experienced, and because of their experience, they were multiplying out the very experience that they had in their life. Um, it's a good idea for you to probably experience some things before you go around telling people about things. I'll never forget how wise my brother was in telling me and Annabeth about our parenting skills, and my brother wasn't even married yet. My brother laughs about it today, but he was like, Rob, your, your kids look at screens a little way too much. Really, G, my younger brother? Okay, I hear you. I don't know of kids. He's got four kids that look at screens more than my brothers. See, for the early church here, this isn't just talk. This is walk. And so let's remind ourselves of some things that strategically Saul and this church went through. Um, the first thing we know is that if fear of the Lord is a formula for success... Saul learned to fear the Lord. For he was headed to Damascus, right, to persecute the church. Now, remember, before we get really angry with Saul, Saul was a God-fearer, and he was a God-follower, and he genuinely, in his religion, although it was religious bl blindness, he genuinely thought he was serving God, when he was going around persecuting the church. But what happened on the road to Damascus? You can look at it. It's not on the screen. Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 9. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This was not random. For God was teaching Saul, and he was teaching the early church to fear the Lord. There's a lot of fear in the world today. There's enemies. There's viruses. There's a lot of things going on. May I submit to you the greatest thing that you can fear, or the greatest one that you can fear, is our God. For although the enemy and the world might be great, our God is greater. So this wasn't talk for Saul. He learned to fear the Lord. Secondly, Saul received comfort from the Spirit. Anyone want to admit here in this room that at times God has, quote unquote, thrown the smackdown on you? But God's kindness also followed up after that smackdown. And it was either through a brother and sister in Christ. It was either through just a gift of grace in your life or encouragement. But after you had been beat down, knocked out, blinded, humbled, God was kind to you. And he brought about the comfort of his spirit. See, this wasn't just talk for the church, this formula to success. This was walk. In Acts chapter 9, verse 17 through 18, God uses Ananias. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and get this, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. 
Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Strengthened by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. See, this was not talk. This was walk. And as a result of Saul learning the fear of the Lord, and as a result of Saul receiving the comfort of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know, thirdly, Saul multiplied the gospel. Now, we haven't read this yet together, so it's probably on the screen behind me, but let's start reading in verse 19. In Acts chapter 9, verse 19, it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Why is this so unbelievable? Remember, Saul, devout Pharisee, God-fearer, preaching the Old Testament law, had missed the Son of God, of which the Old Testament had prophesied would eventually come. Well, now, what does Saul know? Hey, yo, we missed it. (laughs) This Jesus that we crucified, he's the son of God. That's what he was just doing. He probably didn't have, you know, now a uh, Christian seminary experience. He didn't know the right things to do. Some of you are still upset that I opened up by quoting the theologian Michael Jordan this morning. It wasn't so proper and formal and expositional, right? Like we like to teach God's word. He just rocked into town saying, yo, homies, he's the son of God. I know this. I experienced this. We were wrong. We killed him. He's alive, and he could throw the smack down on you right now. Repent and give your life to Jesus. Found people find people. There there is an element, I'll tell you, some of our greatest evangelists in our church, as we've been here in Pittsburgh and also the church I had the privilege of starting and leading in New Orleans for over a decade, the greatest evangelists have always been those who've most recently come to faith in Jesus. Because they're just so on fire. And then we get all spiritual and religious and cute and we got to say things right. I'll never forget my dad telling the story. He became pastor of a church, very formal, traditional Baptist church. And my dad shows up, and everybody's talking about this one gentleman that kind of shares the parking lot of the church that owns a restaurant down at the bottom of the parking lot. And everybody that would tell my dad about this man, his name was Papa Sam, uh, they would say, We've been praying for Papa Sam for years. For years. So my dad would say, well, has anybody talked to Papa Sam? And so one of the pastors said, well, you know, here and there. He goes, follow me. So my dad leaves the church, walks across the parking lot, walks into Papa Sam's breakfast nook, asks for Papa Sam. The waitress says Papa Sam's in the back. And the way Papa Sam described it, he had never seen anyone enter his office and take over his office as fast as my dad did. It's like my dad sat in his chair and then asked for him to have a seat in the guest chair. And he sat down with Papa Sam and he said, Papa Sam, I'm here. I'm the new pastor of the church. We share the parking lot. I want to be your neighbor. I'm so excited, but I've got something really urgent to share with you. Everybody that I talk with just says how much they love you and how much they've been praying for you. And because of that prayer, because I believe God is all in that prayer, I've come down here to invite you. Papa Sam, will you give your life to Jesus? Papa Sam looked down. My dad honestly thought he was about to get destroyed by Papa Sam. He's a big man. He looked back up with tears in his eyes. He said, yes, sir, pastor. You know, you fast forward. Papa Sam showed up at the Wednesday night Bible study of the church. My dad's the new pastor. It's easy in this church to get fired as a pastor. My dad at the end of the service says, hey, would anybody like to just give a testimony of praise to our God? 
Papa, Stan, Papa Sam stood up. He comes walking down, kind of grabs the mic, starts taking over my dad's position in his place, maybe giving my dad a little, you know, payback from what he did in his place. He said, I want you to know this young pastor of yours, he came down to my restaurant, he walked into my office, and he took over all this stuff, and he started to sit me down, and then he looked at me square in the eyes. He said, you know what? People have been praying for you. Will you give your life to Jesus? And I'm here to tell you, Jesus changed my life, and I've never felt so beep, beep good in all my life. Literally, my dad thought he was getting fired that moment. Y'all got a perspective here with Paul? He's the son of God. Man, that wasn't even in my notes. Let's go back. Verse 21. All who heard him were amazed. <laughs> it's Papa Sam, and he just cussed in church. And said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Wow. Which means what? He didn't just rock up and say he is the son of God. He lived this message. So important, church. Here in Pittsburgh, it was true in New Orleans. Most people here in this city are rejecting Jesus, not because of Jesus, but because of people who come to church once a week and praise Jesus, but then leave this place and don't live Jesus. The testimony that Paul was preaching, he was living. And people were astounded. They were shocked. They were amazed, as it says. When many days had passed, the Jews kept throwing a major party for him, asking him to sign their Bibles, and he wrote a book and became a popular preacher. No, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But check out how quickly this church that used to be scared of him now has his back. That's the power of the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. Look at this picture of the church. I've already told you, if I have to go to jail for preaching Jesus, please help me. I'm a sissy. I need your help. I'm not as tough as Paul. It says here, their plot became known to Saul. Verse 25, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. The, the two different contrasts here, and this is just, I'm going to just keep it real. Damascus, it was so fresh, they were easy there because they hadn't so, um, become so religious and spiritual. We, we tell a lot of people in church world, you got to behave here before you can belong. The church in Jerusalem had kind of gained some traction and they'd started to get all real proper with all their, you know, programs and you're going to have to take these five steps before we are going to dub you as our brother or sister. They got a little religious. Well, here in Jerusalem, there's a little hesitancy and... I'm not going to throw too many stones at them, rightfully so, for they are back in the place where they saw Saul be a part of the stoning of Stephen. They're scared of this dude. You would be too. And so they're a little hesitant. And it says, as they were all afraid of him, they did not believe he was a disciple. Verse 27, we find our guy Barnabas again, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas steps up, took him, and brought him to the apostles. 
declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. You're going to see his word boldly over and over. Remember, that's the Holy Spirit. You want to pray for something this week? Pray that God would give you boldness for him. I know there's a lot stacked up against us. Most of the the neighborhoods that we live in in Pittsburgh, if you love Jesus and you're proud of that, you're a minority in your neighborhood. It's not popular. It's not the way that everybody's rolling at your workplace. I get it. It's hard. God will give you boldness. He can give you boldness. Pray for that. It's a great thing to pray for every day. God, give me boldness so I don't chicken out. When my neighbor asks why I'm smiling, don't say it's because I had a good breakfast this morning. Say it's I met with King Jesus this morning. He lifted up my head as I read scriptures. He's the best. Do you know Jesus? Let's pray for boldness, church. So he went in and out among them. Verse 29. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Do you think this is amazing? The Hellenists, who were the Hellenists? Uh, These were the same people Stephen preached to. So he's already been ripped that he was part of killing Stephen. And now, can you just see it? He's going back to the same mission that Stephen was called to. Isn't the gospel great? It's like, holy cow, this guy, this guy was so against the ways of the Lord, now he's preaching that Jesus is the only way. I mean, it's just amazing. I really should have not stopped and just read this. I blame Jake. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. He is Saul of Tarsus. This isn't just to go back and enjoy some time on the beach. You're going to find very quickly Saul, wherever he goes, is going to boldly proclaim the gospel. So we land back at our picture of success. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So Saul learned to fear the Lord. Saul received comfort from the Spirit. Saul multiplied the gospel. This is the formula for success. What about your formula for success? Let me just repeat again. Fear the Lord plus Comfort of the Holy Spirit equals gospel multiplication. What was success for Paul? What was success for the early church is the same formula for you and for me. Now, let's let's picture this. Because this was also a, a title I almost gave this. I call it the sweet spot of multiplication. Fear of the Lord, guys, is so important for us. And then I'm going to give us some things that are going to help us stay in this sweet spot as we close today. Fear of the Lord is so important because we always want to remind ourselves, I might be, quote unquote, a pastor here at this church. Jesus is our senior pastor. My ultimate job description is to listen to Jesus and do what he says. That's a good job description, mom, if you're in the house. Listen to Jesus do what he says. I don't know about y'all, but a lot of times, sometimes, I forget about fearing the Lord. And I begin to think that my ways are greater than his ways. And so what God continues to do in my life, even when I think I'm so important, that at times when I sit, I strut. You know, just, God, you are so lucky to have had me. In your world today, God brings fear of the Lord, and he shifts me back here. 
But comfort of the Holy Spirit is also something we need. Saul, obviously, needed a humbling. He needed salvation. And guys, when you come to faith in Jesus, that's why the word repentance is so important. You cannot enter into salvation thinking you're greater than God. No, the way into salvation is bowing to the God who is greater. So you repent, right? But here, fear the Lord. Any of y'all at times, come on, let's be real. Let's not be so churchy today. Anybody at times get a little tired of these fear of the Lord moments in your life? Anybody? Anybody ever wake up and say, God, really? Snow in April, really? Anybody have those moments? Like, enough, God. I'm fearing you. Stop beating me down. I need some health, wealth, and prosperity in my life. That's okay. Specifically, Saul, after being beat down, blinded, God sends Ananias. That's why it's so important to stay connected with the church. You can't ever fully tap into who God wants you to be and the fullness of who God is without the church. And I promise you, if you would just discipline yourself, I know everybody gets to attend church whenever they want to, but if you just discipline yourself to be here every week, there's going to come a week where you're going to come through those doors, and because now we know you or because you're part of your B group, we're going to recognize that, hey, man, my brother or my sister just needs a hug. My brother or sister just needs some encouragement. And so what's going to happen is the church, like Ananias, is going to come alongside you and just say simply, how can I pray for you? And that comfort of the Holy Spirit is going to pick you up and move you back to that sweet spot. How do we stay in this sweet spot? Three things. Write these down. This isn't for this moment. This is going to happen for you on Tuesday. It's in the text. First of all, we need communion. Everybody say, look up. Look up. Communion. Get your eyes off the wind and the waves. Instead, look to the one who controls the wind and the waves. Can I tell you, my greatest responsibility each and every week for this moment right now when I preach to you is not around anybody else. It's my time with no one else around. It's just me and the Lord. Communion. Look up. Do you know here in this text, it's, it's really important for us to recognize this. I kind of learned something new. And I've studied a lot in Acts. I didn't know exactly how long. Some of you will be like, oh, I can't follow that pastor if he didn't know this. But it was almost like an aha moment. Um, in Acts chapter 9, verse 22 and 23, it says this, But Saul increased all the more in strength, okay, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, it says something in verse 23. It says, when many days had passed. You have to go and read commentaries and, and discover some things. Sometimes when we read the scripture, we think it's like one day to the next. But there's actually a lot of things in scripture that we don't have. And so we have to put all of the different parts of scripture together to kind of get a full context. And then how many of y'all can't wait to go to heaven and actually like go up to the, you know, uh, disciples go up to Peter. Hey, Peter, I just got to know this. I, I, I feel like, bro, you love to eat food. I just, what was y'all's favorite food to grill out around the fire as you follow Jesus? I mean, were y'all like burger people? Did you like hot sauce? You know, tell me a funny joke that y'all like to say. Did any of y'all fart? No, I don't know. Like, not, none of that's in Scripture. But these were people. And people fart. <laughs> not everything's in Scripture. So right here it says, 
After many days had passed, it said the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. Now, look on the screen. I've got it on the screen. Galatians. Have we got it? We got Galatians on the screen? Check this out. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church of Galatia about his conversion. Check this out. This blows my mind. It says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. So where did Jesus meet him? On the road to Damascus. He then goes to Damascus. And after many days, how many days is this? Saul gives us a little picture of how long. It says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those uh, who were the apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. Arabia night. Arabia. And returned again then to Damascus. Then after three years, everybody say three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit the disciples. So what this is telling us, I'm reading from a commentary here. The first step in God's preparation of Saul was a lonely stint in the Arabian wilderness. Specifically, this was the Sinai wilderness. Think about this. What associations the place must have had for Saul, who was a scholar of the Old Testament? I mean, just think about how amazing. He's in Sinai. Pretty epic things happen in Sinai. Read Exodus. It goes on in this commentary. Under the shadow of Sinai, the great lawgiver of the people to whom he also belonged had spent 40 years of preparation for service. There is divine poetry here. At Sinai, Moses received the law. Now at Sinai, Saul learns about grace. God, <laughs> I love learning new things. So what does this mean? Why is this relevant? Rob, what are you talking about? Fear the Lord, comfort of the Holy Spirit. How do we stay there? It has to come from Jesus. Look up. God wants to do something in you before he ever wants to do something through you. And for three years, for three years, Saul was ministered to. Don't rush the process. Hey, to tell you, none of us in this church right now are old school, three-year-long members. We ain't even made it. Not one of us. Our church ain't that old. What have we considered this as a foundational building block to years of impact in ministry? I know for a lot of ways God puts me through some things because he's not actually wanting something external from me. He's wanting to do something internally in me. Communion. One commentary said this is what Saul learned with his communion time for three years. He learned who Jesus is. This is what you'll get. You'll learn who Jesus is when you spend time with Jesus. He learned who he was. Without Enneagram. He learned who he was. And then he learned what God wanted him to do, which brings me to the second thing. All right, write this down. Commission. Commission. Everybody say, look up. Come on, y'all got to be with me. Come on. Look up. Live out. Live out. And I, I just love as I read this, Saul didn't have to go to seminary before God did use him. Well, he just started saying, he is the son of God. Well, I want to see a seminary to go to Paul. No, he's the son of God. God used him. God can use him. He can use you. Well, I don't know if I've gone through the connect track. No, God can use you now. Now. 
He is the Son of God, but there was some reality to this. Look at verse 24 through 26. It says, They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, luring him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So I'm just going to tell you, in my moments where, let's just picture that I'm here and I'm in my prayer closet, spending time with Jesus. A lot of times in my prayer closet, because <laughs> I'm a visionary, like Annabeth and I had the privilege of going to California to, to speak, and like, I'm just going to be honest, like, it was amazing. But I'm over there representing our network, hopefully recruiting some new peeps to Pittsburgh. I explained to one guy from Seattle that we're the Portland of the East. I hope that worked. I don't know. But I was over there recruiting, and, and so I love that. Ben and I are taking off on a plane here in a couple hours. The same conference is in four cities that I'm getting to speak. I'll be in Orlando speaking to about 2,000 people tomorrow. Pray for me at 240. Okay? And, and I, I think about that. So when I'm in my moments of communion, I, I hope you're this way because I think God desires for us to dream big. Man, I start to really like, whoo, okay. I get to learn who Jesus is. I'm like, what? Yes, I'm going to charge hell with a water pistol. Yes, I'm going to dream big. I'm not just going to get by in life. I don't want to just survive a day. I want to thrive. And so I sit here and I start to like build up all this excitement. And I'm like, you know, on, on Sunday mornings, I wake up and I hit the Peloton because I'm just kind of like so antsy to come yell at you guys. And I got to get some energy out of me. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm so excited. You know what happens typically? And this is the balance of fear of the Lord, comfort of the Holy Spirit. I, I step out and I live out commission. Things don't always work out according to my plans. I got to believe all those years that Saul spent, he's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, God, God, you called the right guy. Remember who Saul was? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Dude was a master teacher. You know that his like number one mentor I don't even know how to say his name, Gamaliel or something like that, Gamaliel, something like that. Uh, he was like, you know, Yoda. He was Yoda. I've, I've never watched Star Wars a day in my life, to be honest, and Ben almost left the church when I told him that. But he was like Yoda. I mean, this, this dude knew it all. He was the dude. He was the bishop. And Paul had a front row seat to this guy. So you think... You think Paul, at some level, knew how to communicate? You think he had had some, some good teaching, some good moments in life? But man, the dude steps out after communion with God, and he starts to live this thing out, and he's so humbled. People are so mad at him, he has to lower himself. He didn't picture this. He's getting squeezed through a small hole in a wall in a basket, So when, when I was praying this morning, I, I didn't exactly picture being squeezed into a basket. All right, can I, can I talk real here? And I'm going to leave this on because some of you are not going to forget this. I don't know if I can see my notes. So I wrote these two things down. When you step out 
and live out what God has called you to do in your time of communion. You will be humbled and you will stay humble. One of the, the problems that I have with some people that tend to strut is most of those people are doing only communion work. Man, they are brilliant as they open up their commentaries, but they've never put their commentary to the streets. And when you truly step out, especially when people plot to kill you, guys, this life is not our own. This world is not our home. I know we live in America. It's getting farther and farther away from anything that the Bible teaches. I'm just telling you, our next generation, it's, it's so important. I sat with a friend here in Pittsburgh the other day who's quote-unquote, just no longer with us and not journeying with us. And I just said, my friend, you're spending so much time pouring into your kids, providing for your kids, sports, all this kind of stuff. How are you building within their lives a foundation of who God is and who God's called them to be? Because it's not going to get any easier for us to proclaim the name of Jesus. Typically what I find is I find people on mission for Jesus, humble before Jesus. I lose my mind over some pastors in the world today. On Twitter, they lose their stuff, theologically or whatever else, and I always juke them in this way. Hey, dude, do you have any lost friends? Like you love talking to Christianese people and making these stands. I can't afford to do that. All my neighbors, because of COVID, follow us online and watch me on Twitter. So I'm very strategic. And I'm very humbled by the challenge of seeing my friends and my neighbors fall in love with Jesus. All right, number three. Community. Lock in. Lock in. I just love this. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road that he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And so when the brothers learned this, he brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. We need each other. And if there was to be, we had a training time with some of our leadership who's stepping into different roles, and we talked about the four different teams that you can have in a church. You can have a track star. You can have golfing buddies. You can have a basketball team. You can have a football team. Track stars, I mean, yes, in track you need teammates and all that other kind of stuff, but you're not necessarily working with others. There's you, and you're running. If anybody had permission to be a track star, I would say the Apostle Paul. He shows up, I'm coming to the front row, he's preaching. But I dare you to try and find a moment in all of Saul's missionary journeys where he goes alone. And if you have any chance of being in the sweet spot of success, According to what God dubs as success in your life, we need community. And to my friends who are worshiping with us online, may I just share this pastor's heart. Online's not enough. I love this as a tool, 
and a resource and a blessing. But we were not created for isolation. And with all due respect, you're going to the grocery store, you can come to church. Because the goods that we're selling here is way more nourishing than anything you're going to get at a grocery store. And so my friend, come. Lock in. We'd love for you to be a part of this movement of truth, love, and community. Sometimes God doesn't really give me clarity on how to end things. Josiah, are you coming up? We're not going to sing. I just want you to pad under me. And then we'll close out. I want, first of all, to just lock in. In our V groups this week, we're going to mainly lock in on these three things. Communion, commission, community. But I want to give you an opportunity right now to put into practice what I believe you should consider every day of your life if you hope to stay in the sweet spot for your formula for success. So every head bowed and every eye closed. All right, this is you and Jesus time. Communion. Look up. Some of you perhaps need to bow down before you look up. Can't live for Jesus without Jesus. Can't experience Jesus without Jesus. So I want to invite you right now, just with heads bowed, eyes closed, to look up to repent of your sin and to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Let his kindness lead you to repentance. some you know King Jesus so I invite you to talk with him right now stats most likely tell us that even providing you a moment like this right now if you went back seven days you haven't talked to Jesus personally so I'm giving you that time right now for before God wants to do something through you he wants to do something in you So just speak to him. He's here. He loves you so much. It's okay if you do this. Like, if you ever struggle talking with Jesus, just pull out scripture. Go into the Psalms. Just repeat a psalm to Jesus and watch how that flows. Speak those words of life to the giver of life. Thank you, Jesus, for being here. Thank you, Jesus, for being in living rooms, maybe all over Pittsburgh, who are worshiping with us right now. You are omnipresent. You are everywhere, always, at all times. Come in and flood a living room right now with your presence. All right, let's lock in now on commission. I've always found that the easiest thing to do in my life to get myself 
mobilized for the kingdom is to think about one person. Who's your one? Just one person. Classmate, back at Woodstock. Teammate, brother, sister, mom, dad. Neighbor. Start praying for them. And in my belief, much like I share with you about Papa Sam and my dad, if God's placed someone on your heart, he's given you a divine appointment. And so begin to ask God for boldness. Ask for God to to put you in in that sweet spot. Fear the Lord is good. If you're scared about this, that's good. <laughs> but scared, be scared more of God than this person. Be scared for disobeying God if he's really telling you. Trust the Lord. And then if you're like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to have the right words. I'm so nervous because it's like my next door neighbor. And I got to live next to this person if it goes south. And I, don't, I just don't know. Comfort of the Holy Spirit. He wants to equip you. He'll give you the words. That's what Jesus told his disciples. The Spirit will give you what to say in that hour. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's let's close out with community. With community. And and just by way of symbolism, you don't have to stand if you don't want to, especially if you don't feel like it. But if you would at least at some level say, you know what, God is calling me to not only look up, to not only live out, but to lock in. To lock in. And if that's you and you'd say, you know what, either with my church family Uh, With my family, with my friends, with my brothers and sisters, you would say, I'm answering the call to lock in, to be about the community of Christ because I need brothers and sisters in my life. I want to invite you to just stand right now. Just stand. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Praise God. Praise God. Lock in. Maybe you're at a point where you don't need (laughs) others. I'm just going to go ahead and let everybody, give everybody a heads up. I need you. I cannot make it without you. But maybe you would at least stand here and join those who've stood because you feel a sense of commission to be here at this church, not necessarily to receive, but to give. So if that's you, would you consider standing as a commitment to lock in with the church? And I just want to pray. those of you who are sitting, let's look right now and just extend your hand out to those who are standing. Let's just pray God's blessing over each one who's standing. So Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is for us to be a community and to be there for each other. And Lord, in this time of prayer, God, I, I pray Lord, first of all, for those who've taken this moment to talk with you, to look up. And I pray specifically for those who've perhaps trusted in you as their Lord and Savior. We rejoice for today is a day of salvation. We thank you, King Jesus, that you are mighty to save. God, for those who have prayed and looked up because 
Lord, at some level, they're not looking up enough. God, would you so just enrich them with your presence right now? God, on commission, Lord, I pray perhaps, I don't know how many are in this room, but if we would just double the size of this room, that represents one person in each of our lives that needs Jesus. God, I pray this week would be a week of commission. That God, we would walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiply your gospel. But God, as we now lift up our hands and pray over those who've stood, either saying, Lord, I really need more community in my life, or Lord, I'm eager to dive in, to lock in, and to be community in other people's lives. God, I pray your blessing over each and every one who's here today. God, thank you for blessing us with your presence first and foremost, but thank you for the privilege of being here in this place surrounded by people who are longing to serve you. So God, may there be a spirit of togetherness in our church. And may your Holy Spirit unleash your movement around the world in and through us. For your kingdom and for your glory, we pray. Amen.